I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 127. Where the best mortgage brokers get better. I Love Mortgage Brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Beckford here from I Love Mortgage Brokering. Today on the show, I have Robert Ring. Robert's a mortgage loan officer out of Walnut Creek, California. He's been a loan officer for four years and works for Skyline Home Loans. He's the first U.S. loan officer we've had on the show. And just to give you some background on this, I decided to kind of reach out to loan officers as I think that it's very it's a very similar role to mortgage brokering in Canada to get a different perspective, to get some different ideas. And I'm pretty stoked about this first interview that I've done. If you like this concept, please uh, shoot me an email, let me know, and I can do some more of these. So Robert shares how he uses NLP in his client meetings. And if you don't know what NLP is, it's Neuro Linguistic Programming. Think of Jedi mind tricks, but uh, not, but totally legal and legit. It's pretty cool stuff. And Robert also shares what keeps him motivated and on track. This episode is sponsored by Pioneer West Acceptance Corp. Pioneer West is a private lender in BC and Alberta. Now, normally when we have a sponsor for the show, it's because I personally use a product or service and I can give it my 100% recommendation. In this case, it's a little different. I actually don't do B deals. So I decided to do some background checking on the crew at Pioneer West. And I found that everyone I talked to said they were fast, down to earth, and are underwrote deals if they made sense, which is exactly what you're looking for in a B lender. Another cool thing about Pioneer West is they still have money to lend. I've been hearing from some lenders that they're running low on cash, not these guys. If you're a broker who's looking for a lender for your next B deal in BC, Alberta, check out Pioneer West Acceptance and tell them you heard about them on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Check them out at pioneerwest.com and check out this episode. Hey, Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you. So how did you get into the loan business? Because no one as a little kid in kindergarten says, when I grow up, I'm going to be a mortgage banker, a loan officer. So what was your path to our industry? Yeah, I actually said the opposite. My dad was in real estate and I was like, I'm never going to go into real estate. But um, and, but here you are. <laughs> here I am, exactly. I was working as a waiter and um, doing some odd jobs, working with my dad a little bit at his office, doing some admin stuff. And previously to those jobs, I had a sales position at a car wash where I sold detail packages. And I was like their top salesperson. They had me back to train other salespeople. We would sell like $30,000, $40,000 worth of details every month. And I'm thinking, you know, how can I sell something that maybe the commission's a little bit better than, you know, car wash, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I was just looking for that. You were making enough of a bank, right, in the, in the detail business. Yeah, exactly. So I was looking for that. And I'm like, okay, so this guy comes into my dad's office one day when I'm working. I just got called in randomly that day. And he's one of the tenants in, in the office. He brings in his brother who's the branch manager of, of, of a loan office out here. And he's driving a $100,000 Mercedes and he's saying, you know, I'm looking to hire people. And I go, great, what do you do? A loan is like, cool. And I didn't even know what a mortgage was. I mean, I vaguely, but I was like, you know, how do people buy $800,000 houses? It blew me away. And so then he's like, come work for me, do this thing. You know, we'll call these refinances and blah, blah, blah. I said, you, you make a lot of money. And, you know, I said, oh, it sounds great. Cool. So he hired me. So I start to work for him and, you know, literally know nothing. I'm training. I'm doing all this stuff, uh, cutting my teeth. and you know, calling on these leads that he had. And uh, so the first like year in the business, it was just really calling on, on leads and doing refinances. And then I saw that rates were going up and I said, you know, this is not a long-term business. I need to start working on purchases. So I got out of that and got paired up with, you know, an MSA, a market servicing agreement between the bank I was working with, a real estate company, and I was their designated lender. And then things really took off. At that point, I, I just have kind of focused on the purchase business aspect of it more since then. And so is, is that still what you're doing right now? You still have that same MSA and still dealing with the realtors? No, that fell through because the bank I was with wasn't, you know, they weren't holding up their end of the deal. So we ended up, ended up switching to a new company. I thought the new company was going to get the MSA, but they ended up not getting it. 
And so I kind of had to, again, reposition um, and just go after, you know, realtors and clients the regular way. And that took a little bit longer of a build-up period. But, you know, I still had some of the relationships, obviously, from the MSA. And now I'm just out there, you know, in the market meeting realtors and um, networking and, and doing the sales thing, you know. Right. Awesome. So before we dive into the rest of your story, I just want to ask you about a quote that's had a really big impact on your life or business. I love how quotes for me, they're memorable, they're portable, they kind of, they act like a compass to keep me on track. So do you have a quote that's had an impact on you? Oh man, I have, I mean, there's a lot of quotes that I like. I don't, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I know Simon Sinek has some great quotes. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, me too. I really like the, the talking about the why, you know, and I always think if you can keep your big why present in, in front of your mind, all the time, then when you're doing day-to-day mundane tasks, it'll really drive you forward because you can connect the dots to the bigger picture of why you're, you're there and why you're doing what you're doing. Okay, can I can I ask you what's your why then? Like what's your, that gets you up in the morning that makes you pick up the phone and call realtors and build those relationships? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, growing up, you know, I was very close to my grandmother and she passed away of cancer in 2009 uh, and she had a huge influence on me. And so, you know, a big part of my why is I want to live a life that she would approve of because I feel like she taught me a lot of things and I would want her to know that I took the things that she taught me and I'm putting them to work and I'm being kind to other people and I'm, I'm living for a purpose. That's, that's part of my why. I mean, another part of it is I feel like, you know, I'm on a stepping stone because I really want to go into bigger things down the road, philanthropy, you know, helping, you know, not poor people in third world countries, that sort of thing. So it's all kind of connected, but that's that's the biggest part of it. Right. That's awesome. And so the last question on this, but so do you have a way to keep that top of mind? Do you have a picture or is it just something that you naturally, do you have a picture of your grandmother? Is there something you do to to trigger that? No, not not really. But I mean, I, I'm pretty lighthearted and happy a lot of the time. So, and I have a lot of energy. So it's not, I'm always, I'm not always thinking about my why to kind of keep me going. But in the times where I'm wondering, why am I in this? What am I doing? I, and I, I got to kind of reset myself. I think about that and I bring it to mind. And I think about the times before she passed away. Like, for instance, I was sitting next to her on the sofa the night before she passed away and she was talking to me and she was holding my hand. And she said, you don't know how blessed you are to have parents that will pay for you to go to university. I didn't have that when I was younger. Her father abused her. I didn't have that when I was younger. And you're very privileged and I want you to know that. And so just thinking about that and thinking that the life that I was brought up in and the privileges that were afforded me just kind of reminds me, keep pushing ahead. Because I feel like to whom much is given, much is... Dude, if I was buying in the U.S. right now, I'm gonna phone you. If I'm buying in California, I'm like, you, you, I'm like, seriously, like, this is this is awesome. It's so good. So, I want to ask about failure. I know that when you've been doing this business for any amount of time, sometimes things don't work, but the failure is never final or fatal, and there's always a lesson in it. So, can you share something that you failed at, but now looking back, there was a lesson in it for you? Oh yeah, for sure. So last year, I had a good fourth quarter. At least I thought I did, and I'd saved more money than I'd ever saved in my life, and I was really proud of that. I had started a nonprofit you know, in, a, in an inner city near me. And I was really focusing on that. And I thought, you know, December is kind of a slow month in real estate. I'm going to take the month off. And, uh, you know, I was using my money for a lot of things, helping friends, trying to, you know, do things with a nonprofit and at the same time not working, you know, and, uh, you know, it's simultaneously kind of being lazy because I wasn't working. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just like it was, you know, all for good. It was all so good as work on charity things. It's like, not really, I, I should have been getting up and working and I, I wasn't. And so that month, Little did I realize all that money that I thought I had stashed away, you know, quickly vanished. Mm-hmm. I still had bills to pay and I hit total rock bottom and had literally zero dollars in my bank account. And I was on the phone with my mom one night and I just was in tears. And I said, I've never been in a place since I moved out because I kind of declared independence and moved out around 20, 21. And 
I said, I've never been in a place where I have not been able to pay my bills. It really hurt me because when I first got in the mortgage industry, I was still a waiter. So I could supplement, you know, maybe not closing a deal sometimes. And, uh, she said, you know, Rob, I've seen you make a lot of money. I've seen you do this, you know, kind of get back up, you know, put your boots on and go out there and do it. I'll help you through this, you know, this time or whatnot, which I was really grateful for. And that just, it, it, it triggered something in me. It said that I never, ever want to get back to this point. Not only do I never want to get back to this point, I never even want to get close to this point. Mm-hmm. From then on, I started wearing a suit and tie every single day. I was waking up at like six in the morning and I was working all day, every day. And within three months, I had $8 million in active loans and have been the number one producer in my branch since then. And that was basically since May when all that, you know, when I had that big month. So mm-hmm. that's awesome, dude. That's so good. So I want to ask about systems. I know that talking to successful loan officers and mortgage bankers, that there's three kind of key areas. There's sales, there's systems, and then there's people. And so if you had one of which one of those would you feel like is your strength? I would say sales. And so now that you've said that's your, and which one would you say is your weakness? So I'm going to ask you some follow-up questions on those two things. Sure. Uh, probably systems. So on the sales side, what's one thing that you do that has been really successful for you in your business? Uh, well, one, I have uh, a really, I guess this is kind of goes in the system, systematic sales approach. So in sales and in talking to people, you know, I, I use some neurolinguistic programming, you know, sales techniques that I've learned that just help the flow of the conversation. I have some sales scripts that I use when I'm calling people for the first time. You know, and then just as far as networking goes, some specific things that I've learned through, mainly through Todd Duncan, a a mortgage coach, you know, in the U.S., Mm -hmm. he has got this method called high trust selling. And so I do these high trust meetings where we go and do this thing called a high trust interview and basically, you know, go deep on a one-on-one basis with a realtor or a client to develop a relationship for, you know, a longstanding business relationship. So on the neurolinguistic programming, so if somebody doesn't know what that is, what, what is that? It's just, it's NLP is a psychology that was invented by Richard Bandler in the 60s, uh, really for self-help and for self-improvement because what they found is that your subconscious brain is programmed a certain way and you can reprogram that to overcome fears, to become more happy, to do any number of things. And so there's also applications of that in sales. And, you know, I don't like to use it too much because I think it can be kind of a manipulative thing to do. But if you kind of know how it works, you can avoid pitfalls like saying certain things that push people away. You know, and you can also say certain things that make people feel more comfort, comfortable. And really what, what we're dealing with with any family is, is three things which you don't mess with with any family, and that's their money, family, and, and where they live. And so you want people to feel as comfortable as possible. So I'll use some of those techniques to get them feeling comfortable so that we can build that trust and have that conversation about the sensitive things like their finances, their credit, saving, income, all that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Jedi mind tricks if you're into Star Wars, <laughs> but but you got to use it for good and not for evil, right? Absolutely, yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, so can you give me an exact? Because I I think this is an interesting topic. So can you give me an, an example of some teaching? Sure. That you that you would apply in a conversation, or maybe you've already been doing it to me, and I didn't even realize. That's why I said you're my guy. If I go to California, I'm going to call you. Like I've already Jedi mind tricked me. No, I'm just kidding. No. I haven't, you know, I use it when you get, the, so you'll get those clients, you know, once in a while and they'll be very skeptical, they'll be very afraid and it's really for no reason. They're like, oh, I don't know. I've never done this before. I'm so scared. I just, should I really do this? Should I not do this? Should I refinance? You know, and like it's staring you right in the face. You're like, this makes so much sense. You're going to save money on taxes. You're going to save money on the interest rate, like whatever the situation is. Like it makes total sense for them to do it. But you just telling them in a logical manner, hey, this makes sense for you. They're still scared because. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're communicating with emotions and you're communicating with information. So that's when I really pull that out. 
I think the biggest way that I do that is I listen to the way that they're framing their words. This gives you the biggest cues. People will frame their words a number of ways. There's two main ways that I look at this. They'll internalize and externalize. That's one side of it. They'll mention one or two or three of the five senses. Okay, so you want to you want to listen to how they're processing information. Like I'm afraid, I'm not sure this is right for me. You know, I've never done this before. That they're internalizing. They're relying on their internal decision making abilities to move forward on this. What they use, that's what they trust really to make decisions. Externalizing, they'll they'll say, I need to talk to my dad. I need to see what my husband thinks. I need to see what my wife thinks. I need to see what my financial advisor thinks. I need to talk to my old loan officer, my realtor, whatever. They're relying on external sources to feel comfortable about the decision they make. So based on which one of those they choose, I will then take a certain path. So if they're internalizing it, say, look, you know, uh, John, I'm sure that you can make a great decision. It seems that you've made a lot of those before. I'm here to help you make that great decision. But at the end of the day, I want to lay out the numbers for you. I want you to look at everything, see what's best for you. Take it home, talk with you, you talk about it, but you make that decision and you'd be comfortable with it. I think that you'd be great at doing that. Do you agree? Right. You know, I say so much about him making the decision and he's good at it and he'll be comfortable in it. He's got to do it. And then I ask him for a verbal confirmation at the end. Do you agree? Yeah. Okay, great. And that will really put him at ease. The opposite is true. If they're externally, they go, look, I've been in the business for X amount of years. I've helped this many families. And if you look at my Yelp reviews, Zillow reviews, whatnot, you'll see that people uh, consistently and continually trust me and my team to take care of their you know, very personal finances, I mean, their home, their family, their move, all these things. And we do a great job for them. So if you can see all that, if it means something to you, just know that I'm a trustworthy person and I can bring a lot of value and help you in this area, you know, maybe more than you realize. And that will put them at ease if they're relying on external sources. The five senses thing is interesting too, because they'll say, I think about this or I feel. And one of the aspects of NLP is, and really, I mean, in sales too, they talk about something called a pattern interrupt. And so you want to get people thinking differently than their current train of thought sometimes. And so if they keep saying, I feel, I think, you would want to use different senses to say, well, I want you to see it this way. Take a look at it from my perspective. Take a look at these numbers in this way. Or if I hear what you're saying correctly, you know, and then so you're, you're utilizing those other words. They will then connect with those different senses. It's kind of a weird thing. That'll give the pattern interrupt and they'll start to see your point a little bit better and kind of go along with it, and you can kind of take the lead and finish off that you know sales conversation. Dude, this is awesome stuff. Like, so where did you learn it? Well, I it was really interesting. I was just sitting in a restaurant one day. I had a happy hour, and I was thinking, you know, is there some sort of you know studies on psychology and sales and you know all this stuff? And so I just started googling, and I found neuralistic programming. It was really fascinating to me, but I didn't know, is it a trustworthy thing to study? Is, is there a good source for it? So then like the next week, I went to this thing in Vegas, Mortgage Mastermind, and this guy got up, Sam, uh, Sam Jahan, he spoke about neurolinguistic programming, and it was really fascinating to me. And, you know, it kind of, some people thought it was really cool. Some people thought, you know, I don't like that it's manipulative, and some people I really respect said that, so I, I took heed to that. And so I've been very careful with that and how I use it and studying and all that stuff. But nonetheless, it piqued a curiosity in me. And so I looked into these things. I started studying it. I started, I got a book from Richard Bandler. I actually found that the, the biggest part of NLP is not really for sales. It's for self-help. And so there's a book by Richard Bandler talking about like how to get the life you want quickly through NLP. So I read the book and it was really cool. Mm -hmm. And then I just studied some of these techniques and, you know, when it comes time, I use them. But I'm really conscious about when I use them. I don't use them all the time and I mainly reserve them for times when people are irrationally nervous or scared and it, it really helps kind of bring the conversation back home, make them feel comfortable, relaxed, trustworthy, you know, like they trust me and then move it forward. Right. That's awesome. Good stuff. So I want to ask about weaknesses. You said systems. And so I'm thinking, do you mean like 
internal systems that have to do with paperwork and that type of process, or what type of systems did you mean? Yeah, well, like I'm a, you know, I take the the disk test, and I'm a high I and a high D, and then an S and a C. So an influencer, you know, is the I. I think the D is driver. I mean, systems is the S. I'm not great. At, this is not my strong point. So I, it's just not what I'm great at. But I've been building systems and building a team, and I've placed people around me that are really good at systems, and so that helps a lot. If I didn't have them, I probably wouldn't be able to close nearly as much business or help as many families, you know, and so it's just a matter of building a team. And building a team is really hard because you got to hire the right people. They have to be really customer service oriented. They have to, you know, not be lazy. Um, and I'm thankful that I've got some good people on my team so far. Okay. So th- yeah, my follow-up question was going to be how to mitigate that weakness, but it sounds like you've already answered my question before I asked it. So then I'll ask a different question, which is when you're going to hire people, other than the disk profile, what other things do you use to sort of determine, okay, this person's got a good fit and they're going to cover you know some of the areas of the business that I'm not as strong at? Right. Well, I mean, that, the disk profile is definitely the first step, so I want to make sure I hire people that are opposite of me on that profile. But then beyond that, you know, that they have good experience in the industry, that they are good at follow-up. I mean, a lot of those things fall under that disk. And I want somebody who's really friendly because my team, I really push this concept of what I call white glove customer service. And that's like, just like you'd imagine if you went somewhere and there was maybe a butler serving you and they had white gloves on and they gave you like the utmost service and it was like concierge and everything was done for you. I want people to really feel that we bring that level of service and that level of care and attention. And so I'm interviewing people. It's like, do they really have a heart one for people? Do they really care about people? And will that show when we're helping families move into homes? Because it's such a personal thing and we're dealing with things that, like I said, you know, money, family, where they live. You want somebody who's really, you know, can can make people feel comfortable and make them feel cared for and walk them through the process nicely. Mm-hmm. That's really good. So I want to ask a question about uh, mentoring. So what's the best business advice you've ever received? Well, you know, so I, I've i got a, a few good friends in the industry. One is Wally Libiari. He's a loan officer in Texas. I think he was ranked number nine in Texas. Does a ton of loans. And he called me and gave me some uh, coaching sessions a couple of times. He called me and uh, really nicely gave me this advice. He said, you know, Robert, whatever you're doing in your day-to-day business that, you know, you look at your income, whatever you're doing that you would not pay yourself the amount of money that you make to do that task, hire it out. So it's like, say if you make $10,000 in a month, would you pay $10,000 a month for someone to set appointments and, you know, collect paperwork and input data? No, you wouldn't. Would you pay $10,000 a month for someone to, you know, create estimates or to do this? So you, you kind of separate out your business and find out from the the lowest paying tasks to the highest paying tasks, where you want to cut yourself off and hire the rest of the people. And in doing so, realize that, you know, the highest paying tasks are the ones that you want to focus more of your time on. And by delegating out these tasks to incredible employees, that's the other thing too. If you hire bad employees, it's going to cost you money. But if you hire good employees, it'll make you money. Spend more of your time doing the things that make you money. Hire out the lower paying tasks. And that that's probably the best advice I've ever received because in putting that into practice, I finally got to the point where I'm consistently closing a good amount of business and it's just going up. Whereas instead of up and down and up and down, you're basically sticking to tasks that are the highest value for you and having other people help you. And the other cool thing I've thought about too, when you have a team is you also get to help them and their family. So it's not just about you not having to do things you don't like, but you find people who like those things and you support their family. So it really is a win, win, win. Like there's like at least three wins there that I can think of. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So the next question I want to ask you is about, can you share one thing about yourself that you can't find on Google? 
Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I had someone ask me that. I'll give you time to think about it. I had somebody ask me that question a little while ago, and I was like, whoa, that's a good question. So I've decided, hey, you know what? I, that was a, it's given me some very interesting insights to people. So I mean, I love music, and I've been playing the piano and singing since I was a little kid. My grandma taught me. I don't think that's on Google. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, that's awesome. And so, what do you? What's your like favorite song or music genre that you're playing right now? Like Billy Joel stuff. I, I just love that era. Right, fast piano and yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Billy Joel, Elton John. Uh, that it's just fun. Right. I wouldn't have known. Now it's going to be on Google. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, so, okay. Now we'll do some rapid fire questions. You can answer these as shorter answers if you like. What's the number one thing holding back most loan officers from being successful? I think not delegating lower paying tasks and not time blocking and spending an appropriate amount of time every single day doing what makes you money, which is calling realtors and calling clients and, and taking loan applications. What one thing or habit has made you successful? You know, doing those things, really going out in my marketplace, meeting with realtors and developing relationships. I say just on top of that, kind of icing on the cake, videos. I would say if you're a loan officer, you're a mortgage broker, whatever, go on your Facebook and do videos and, and dress up and look nice and put those videos out there and talk about what you do. It'll get you business. I get people emailing me on Facebook all the time to do loans. And how often, okay, I'm going to, this will be short answer questions, but I'm going to break the rules because I can. So how often do you publish those videos and do you just shoot them yourself or what you, how are you doing that? I'll shoot them. I mean, it's, I don't have much of a schedule. I, I used to do it a lot more. I've been slowing down recently, but definitely to speed it up soon. Just when I'm out about and with people and with realtors and uh, with clients that want to do it, I'll, I'll throw the camera up there. I'll talk about something. I would talk a lot about my white glove customer service policy, how we like to take care of families. We give every family the same level of care and attention regardless of the size of the transaction, that sort of thing. Things that I feel resonate with people. I mm -hmm. put on a video and I put it out there. Right. Awesome. And so what's one software or app that you can't live without for your business? Mortgage Coach. Mortgage Coach. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? Probably The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster by Darren Hardy. Hmm, I haven't read that one. Is it good? It's really good. Mm -hmm. And so this is my last question. One of my favorites. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Yes. So remember the DeLorean, the car? If I could put you in that car and send you back to when you first started as a loan officer and you could sit down and you could give yourself three pieces of advice to have a bigger, better business today, what would you tell yourself? I would say pair up with a loan officer who's been doing this for a while and train under them. You know, Dress nicely, act professional, go out and meet with realtors and get purchase business and build that. Right. That's awesome. Well, Robert, I really appreciate your time today on the show. And where can people find you online? Uh, at my website, www.robertringteam.com. Awesome. Thanks, bud. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next week. Okay, that's not entirely true, but we'd really appreciate it. Also, you can check out everything at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. See you next week.